My years at college were not easy ones. Adult life was just unfolding, and I didn't really know how to handle it. But I was fortunate to have one of the first portable tape players. So, dressed like this, I took long walks in the woods near my school with the music turned up high volume. I was questioning who I was. What is my calling? Struggling to have the confidence that I could do what I dreamed of doing. Wondering whether I would ever be the man I wanted to be. I don't think I'm unique in this struggle. It's pretty common for 20-somethings to be struggling with direction, calling, and purpose. Lots of pressure, lots of thoughts. But walks in the woods and the music kept me returning to my choice to keep asking Jesus to adjust address these questions. The past few months have brought all this back to me as I again ask these questions while wrestling with a career decision. What's my call? Where am I to go? Do I have the skills to do the work? Will I be able to serve God there or there? At the center again is trying to see Jesus, but it's still very fuzzy as I move forward even as I took a new job offer last Thursday. 34 years hasn't changed much of the self-doubt, and I feel pretty much more in touch with my fears, especially when I'm specific, I now know what I'm specifically afraid of, rather than just being generally afraid. But 34 years has also provided a track record. There's always something more that I can expect in how the story will unfold. I see Jesus at work in those moments, and I look forward to seeing that at work in my new role. I share these thoughts because our life quest is to be living in the kingdom of God. If you've been around WCF for a while, you may have noticed that we talk about connecting the future reality of the kingdom with the present reality of the kingdom, all the while acknowledging that it's hard to live in this space. In today's passage, we have an encounter with a man who similarly appears to be trying to make sense of the presence of the kingdom. This encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus is the first of several personal encounters in in John's gospel. John uses these dialogues in an engaging but complex ways to tell us that the kingdom is both here and still yet coming. A few more things to keep in mind about John's telling of the gospel story. John loves literary twists and turns. The story is told very plainly at one level, but infused with metaphor and symbolism. The telling follows a clear structure of a vignette followed by a discussion or an explanation. We see that again today in chapter 3. There's plenty of double entendre here in the words. Either Greek or Hebrew have multiple meanings. Often Jesus clearly means one thing, but his hearers mistake him for saying something entirely different. There is a shroud of darkness that prevents those not in the kingdom from getting the meaning. John's gospel seems to summarize the kingdom of God in three English words, light, life, and love. We see these all three present in John 3 as well. So, Nicodemus comes. In the prior chapter, Jesus has just cleared the temple, and John makes this statement. Now, While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people, 
He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. It seems Jesus is wary, if not skeptical. And then Nicodemus shows up. Nicodemus is a wealthy, prominent Jew, a member of the Jewish ruling council, which means the Sanhedrin. Either he's from a priestly family or just from an upper-class family, and I bet his teeth were perfectly straight. And he comes to Jesus at night for, as we might say, under cover of darkness. And he opens with this line, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus then isn't asking a question, but making a statement. It's interesting to try and figure out Nicodemus's motivation in this greeting to Jesus. By stating that Jesus's signs are valid, a testimony or witnesses to God's work, is he buttering Jesus up? Is he hoping for more insight? Or is he hoping Jesus will do something that denies it? At the very least, Nicodemus makes an assertion. We know that you come from God. It's a claim of authority. We are the judge of what's true or not. We are the ones with the seal of approval. Jesus upends that superiority immediately. In his reply, this is my paraphrase, he says, I tell you, without a shred of doubt, you cannot see, cannot know that I am from God because only children of the light can see the kingdom of God. In John's subtle and subversive way, this first three verses has put Jesus as the arbiter of light and Nicodemus, who came in the night in the seat of darkness. Quite an odd place for a prominent Jewish leader in Jerusalem. Woven through this passage is the recurring metaphor of light. Nicodemus comes in the dark of night. And now, and, and, and to know and enter the kingdom, you must be born again with a special kind of sight. Sight equals light. Without light, we can't see. So it's common in scripture for sight to be substituted as light as a symbol. In fact, light is one of the most powerful metaphors we have. So much so, we might just overlook it. As every junior higher learns, or maybe it's earlier these days, light is the source of all life on earth. Without the energy embedded in the light spectrum that we receive from the sun, all life would cease. Light provides heat to warm our planet. Light gives energy to make food through photosynthesis. Light orients and guides all living things. Moths to a flame? We know this instinctively, too. Shut away in darkness feels like death. We feel alive when the sun is in our faces. Our language is full of things like, we see the light when an idea becomes alive in our eyes, in our minds, in our minds. And when we are confused, everything is darkness. We describe our emotions and moods in in shades of light and dark. This time of year, in January, many of us have have an unshakable darkness as our mood is affected by the lack of light. Without understanding the mechanics of it, the writers of Scripture instinctively knew there was a strong connection between light and all creative life. It's no accident that the first action that God takes after forming the heavens and earth is to bring light into the darkness. Light is organizing, light is living energy, and light is what happens when God acts. When scripture is taken as a whole, it's unmistakable that light and righteousness are closely linked. 
Light has with it the connotation of pure goodness. Conversely, darkness has the connotation of evil, mystery, and death. There isn't time in a Sunday morning sermon to unpack all the scriptures that are tied to this metaphor. And in just a few weeks, we'll return to it in John chapter 9. But let me add just a couple of more. The coming of light has also embedded in it the meaning of the coming of the kingdom of God, which is described as a new day, the day of the Lord. Popular literature and movies in our day even use this image. J.R.R. Tolkien's story raises to a climax when Gandalf the Grey becomes Gandalf the White. In the first century, when Jesus lived, there were also popular stories told of the end of the world. In these stories, the sons of light would do battle with the sons of darkness. It's actually one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. John makes that connection here. Nicodemus is a son of darkness, and Jesus is the first of the sons of light. So Jesus tells Nicodemus quite plainly that his prominent family, his Jewishness, his status as a leader in the Sanhedrin, are not going to help him determine who is from God and if the kingdom is here. Instead, he, has, he says, you have to start all over. You must be born again, he says. It's like a math professor with a student. The student has labored all night to solve a problem. The professor takes one glance at the, at the solution and says, wrong. You have to start all over. There's no way to fix it once the error has been embedded in the problem. You have to start all over. But in this case, it's not a simple math problem. It's Nicodemus's whole life. This born-again stuff is real trouble. In our day, this chapter, particularly verse 16, has become something of a in-your-face, whose team are you on type of summary of the gospel. We've taken being born again with a slightly different twist. It seems like if there isn't a moment when you, quote, decided for Jesus or were, quote, born again, that there may be some question of your real faith. This is hard for those of us who grew up in Christian homes or just seem to slowly come to know Jesus. I've struggled with this question for me, and it was a part of those long walks in college. How do I know that my faith is real without a moment? The older I've gotten, the more I am aware that things just aren't that simple. People who have life-changing conversions are no different in God's eyes than people who have tried to walk with God their entire lives. Being a child of the light is the result of a new birth. But perhaps, and this is a mystery, like the first birth, I actually don't have a lot to do with it. When it occurs and how it occurs isn't John's worry in this text. Rather, the point is that the kingdom is here if we can see it. If we can see it, then we can be confident that we're born again. And we need to hang on to this truth. All around us, Christ American Christianity is in crisis. On one hand, we're splitting into factions over all kinds of issues, splitting on the fault lines of our day, sexual politics, immigration, environment, and even questioning what is really the truth. We wonder who's really a Christian, and what does it mean to our world? Should we evangelize or keep silent and simply serve? John's message to us is this. Look harder at Jesus. Nicodemus wondered about the kingdom as it sat right next to him in that room. John tells us to see with newborn eyes. So, 
do you see the kingdom? If you find it hard to see the light in these dark days, look to Jesus. Jesus is the dawn of the new creation. Do you see the kingdom? If you struggle with direction and belonging, if you feel out of place and perhaps overlooked, look to Jesus. Jesus is everything that we long for. So what does this mean practically? It means being right here with Jesus' body. It means spending time reading the stories from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as they paint a picture of Jesus. It means praying regularly with one or two other people and asking Jesus to make the kingdom known wherever you are. It means taking instruction from Scripture and being open to being led. To be a child of the light means simply submitting to being a child again, a child under Jesus' care. Back in the woods, I've learned two very important theological things walking with Bono and the boys. First, I learned that the kingdom is about learning to love, and that love always is wrapped up not with conquering, but with sacrifice. This album, The Unforgettable Fire, that I played earlier, points to Martin Luther King Jr. as a modern-day example of a follower of Jesus. I soaked that in but also makes clear that the path of following Jesus is not risk-free. At the end of this chapter, John explains that the basis for Jesus' authority is his sacrifice on the cross. There isn't enough time to unpack that part. But to to be a child means submission. To be an adult in the kingdom also means that when confronted with a choice, surrender may be demanded as well as servanthood. So, Be like Jesus. That is our call.